Alan Kring Productions, in association with the Emergent Light Studio, presents the Illinois State Collegiate Compendium, Academic Lectures in Business and Economics. This is Business Finance, FIL 240 for Spring Semester 2023. Today, intrinsic stock price. Uh, as I had said, uh, you will have a surprise quiz on Monday. Uh, it will be one, a little bit, one of the longer ones, so it'll have a 20 minute time limit on it for you to get through it. There will be some math on it, but there will also be some more basic questions on what I've done this week and what I did last week. And as I had indicated, I do want to have you do a uh, quiz with bond prices, just so you have that under your belt for, for study guide for the final exam, which is actually surprisingly, it's approaching us, so prepare yourselves early and often. Let's quick look at the markets. We have a, a, a good bull day. It, the markets are up. The Dow is up uh, three quarters of a percent. S&P is up a little more than a one percent, and the Nasdaq is up one and a third percent. This is back to the usual way you would see it, with the uh, quietest, the Dow 30, up the least, and then from there up more. So we're back into a sort of a normal pattern here. Now crude was pushing hard. The bears, uh, the bulls, were pushing crude oil up. But in the last hour, actually it was even less than an hour, uh, crude has slid back down again. Interestingly, you're finally beginning to see a little bit of price easing at the gasoline, at the retail gasoline level. So I don't know how long that'll last. Crude seems to still like to stay in that nice trading band of 72 to 79. We'll see if that stays. Uh, going over here, gold and gold is just not doing so well right now. Not enough uh, gold bugs are are scared about the end of the world, so gold is slipping in price, which is uh, good news for we who want the economy to do better. Silver is just kind of bouncing around nowhere. Now, as far as the euro USD, just to bring that up again. We have the euro is strengthening against the dollar. It's cost a dollar eight and some change for to buy a euro right now, and it's been pushing up from a dollar six to a dollar seven, and now we're to a dollar eight. Although it seems to have lost some of its urge to keep uh, going up, so the value of the dollar has stabilized somewhat, at least for the time being. Now there are some of these Forex traders, FX traders I should say, who are saying that it's going to go to 110 to 112. In other words, the euro is going to strengthen against the dollar. I don't know if that's going to happen or not. Uh, most of the central banks are not in the mood to raise interest rates much more, uh, US or Europe, simply because the uh, effects on the economy could be dire. Now again, also notice interestingly enough, the uh, uh, Great Britain pound against the dollar, it has weakened too. Now it's costing uh, a little bit. It, it had a spike there, but there's a little bit of a downward trend. Right now it costs $1.23 to buy a pound. And a few weeks ago it would have cost a week ago it would have cost some more than that. So we're seeing the other currencies beginning to lose their momentum against the dollar. Uh, we'll see how that goes. And the yen, which is quoted backwards, that is also losing its uh, strength against the dollar too. These are quoted backwards, and I'd always kind of wondered why they do that. It's simply that one yen has so little price uh, related to a dollar that it's better to quote it backwards so that you have the number of yen to buy a dollar instead of the number of the other currency to buy uh, uh, the dollar to buy the other currency. So I, that's, there's that. Okay. Now London had a 
nice, quiet, just not a massive run-up. It just rose through the day in London, and I think they're still open, as I have said before. And uh, now the Nikkei had a really strong little swoosh there, uh, but global markets are showing that they're pretty happy right now. There is not a huge concern about what the future holds. We do have the calls that a recession is coming. We have some signals that there may be a recession coming, but at the same time, the economy seems to be doing still pretty well. And it's a lot of it's on the strength of consumer buying, uh, just the people going out and kind of having uh, a good time ordering stuff on Amazon or going to the store and buying stuff. So as long as we have that optimism, the, the economy is not going to say, uh, slack off. It's not going to fall into a recession. And also, backroom measures of inflation are pointing to it going down. It is backing, it is easing up quite a bit. So that's good news too, because that will give the Fed more reason to stop raising interest rates and killing the economy and some banks in the, in the process. I wanna, this is a continuation of what I had uh, talked about on Monday. That was more or less the qualitative side. What is stock? Now, uh, one thing that I do want to mention that I, I didn't talk much about it. I kind of swung it out there. Is the difference between common stock and preferred stock. Preferred stock actually used to be a little bit more, uh, more readily available. Here's how, here's how a preferred stock works. It's very much like a bond in, a, in some ways. Um, let's say we've got a company, MBM, 1.5% preferred no let's do it cumulative preferred cumulative preferred cumulative preferred par value $40 per share What that means is that if you buy a share of this preferred every year forever, you will get a dividend of 1.5% times the par value. What would that be? Um, that'd be 40 cents. That'd be 60 cents, I think. Forever. Now, preferred is equity. But do you see, in a way, it's like a bond? Like the coupon is the percent times the face value. Preferred works the same way. Now, a couple of things about preferred. Preferred does not vote. It's, it, it doesn't have voting privilege. Preferred uh, also, if a company has money to pay dividends, it must pay the preferred its dividend before it can declare a common stock dividend. Let me say that again. Preferred stock must be paid its dividend before the common stock can be paid a dividend. Now, any kind of dividend, the company doesn't have to pay the dividend. It does not have to pay the preferred or a common dividend. However, if it does pay dividends, it has to pay the preferred its 
its contractual dividend. There's no decision by the board of directors, well, what should we pay the preferred as far as the dividend? It's in the stock certificate itself. Now, here's something. You notice I put that word cumulative in there. Cumulative preferred, if a company doesn't pay its preferred dividend one year, then it can't pay any common stock dividend until it has caught up on its preferred dividend. So let's put it this way. There's a 60 cents. Company says, well, we can't pay that this year. And then the next year, well, we can't pay that next year. Third year, they got plenty of money left over at the uh, net income line. Well, let's pay a dividend to the common. Not until you've paid the $1.80 to that preferred. That's how cumulative works. And that makes it kind of an, a nuisance to a company because it's like, geez, ooey, we, you know, that certainly does limit your flexibility and it's going to piss off the common, stock, common stockholders while we can't pay you a dividend because we've got to catch up on our preferred. Now, that's only with cumulative preferred. Okay, a little more background on preferred. It used to be fairly popular. And you'll see it on the balance sheets of old companies. 1 million, 10 million shares preferred, 85 million shares of common. Here's the thing, preferred is preferred by some investors. Think about it, if I had a, um, let's say you're an old woman now, uh, you're 60. Why am I saying that? I'm more than that. Okay, uh, you didn't age as well as I did. Okay, so, uh, okay, and you come to me and you say, I want fixed income. I've got $10 million and I want to put it in something. And I also don't want you to do bonds because then like 15, 20, 30 years, you have to roll them over again because they'll mature and then the money has to be reinvested. But with preferred, once I've put it in there, you get a check every year, forever. And you see how that makes it good for a bequeath, to bequeath in an estate, because then the whoever gets it doesn't liquidate, just, it's just there. And then if you've done it right in your will, a last will and testament, they'll just start getting the dividends forever. It's at, in that regard, it's great for trusts. In other words, you put a large amount of money away in a trust for your future generations. Well, it'll just keep cranking along forever and ever. That's all it'll do. And another thing, too, is preferred is safer than common stock. Therefore, it doesn't have the volatility of common stock. It's not going boing, boing, boing. Because it's got this anchor. You're going to get this dividend every year forever. So the price of it's not going to move a lot. The only thing that will move the price of it is the required rate that the market is expecting versus what that, uh, what that uh, dividend percent is. Like if uh, interest rates go up, well, that dividend is going to look a little bit sucky, and that might push, that'll push the price down a little bit. Or if interest rates go down, that would look attractive, and then that would push it up. Now, here's the interesting part. I used to be able to pull up preferred stock. Uh, you see me do it with common stock on Yahoo Finance all the time or some other service. It's really hard to find quotes on preferred these days. It is not popular as far as companies issuing it, and it is not popular with investors. It's just lost its luster over the years. At one time, preferred stock, wow, I've got preferred stock, or my grandmother gave me preferred stock. That was so cool. But now it's like you don't find too many offerings that include common stock. Interestingly enough, though, uh, investment bankers say it's really easy to I issue it because there is a market for preferred stock. There's, uh, it, it, it's still out there, it's just a very quiet market. 
Now, I was plowing through, and I do this every now and then, I was looking through all of these different co uh, public corporations, and I was looking for some that had preferred stock outstanding, you know, use a real-world example. What I found was that to the extent that you can even locate preferred companies that have preferred stock outstanding, a lot of them are in industries like uh, real estate. Uh, they seem to like preferred. They, they'll raise money by issuing preferred stock. And then there are investors who will just buy that offering up. They'll subscribe it right away. But outside of that, it's really hard to find new offerings of, of preferred stock out there. It's just no one does it. One last point about this, maybe eight years ago, six years ago, I took uh, my finance students up to Chicagoland. There is a um, company up there. What they do is they design investment products, stocks, bonds, things like that. And then these different packages appeal to different investor clientels. And they'll go to brokers and they'll say, here's some packages we've got. We would rec we'd like to see you offer these to some of your clients. That's how they work. Well, they were talking about, they did all of this analysis. We need to find stocks that have very stable prices, not much capital gain, but they pay very high, reliable dividends. And boy, we cranked on this. We do this all the time. It's not that easy to find a really good package. And I, I finally, I asked during this uh, question and answer, why don't you use preferred stock? I mean, that's, the, the ultimate in a stable dividend, no capital gain to speak of because it just kind of bounces around its par value like stocks, or like bonds do. And he just kind of looks at me like, meh, no one does that anymore. Uh, okay, but preferred is out there and you might want to consider looking into some of the companies that do preferred stock. I did find one place where there were a surprising number of uh, packages of preferred stocks. Some mutual funds have them in there. Because one of the things is it calms down the beta because preferred stocks tend to have lower low betas. And it also boosts the dividend performance of the mutual fund. So I did find them there though to some extent. But I did want to bring that up. But also keep in mind that if you are in the business of wanting to have a say in a corporation, you would do common stock. You would certainly not do preferred stock. It's uh, because you're not, you don't get to vote. You just sit there and collect your uh, dime. I'm gonna bring this one up in just a little while because this lecture is about valuing stock. The pain in the butt is valuing common stock. And there are different formulas for different kinds of situations. And that's why we pull out the calculator, we pull out Excel to make that a little bit easier. But interestingly enough, the pricing, the, the formula for pricing, finding the intrinsic price of preferred stock is easy. It's a very simple formula. But let me get started here. This is intrinsic value. Now this is the one I've been talking about. The market shows the value from day to day. That's market value. It can bounce all over the place. And we compare that, at least in a conceptual way, to the intrinsic price. Okay, there was a time when Tesla was over $1,000 a share. Now Tesla is way down from that. In other words, we are seeing that long term of the market price tending always to try to work toward the intrinsic price. And then it might get knocked off course and then all that. Okay. So it's all just simple present values uh, in a way. But one thing we would want to say is, okay, you, madam, you're, on, you're the captain of a ship. You look out here. Now, you're in the water, and there's water all around you. 
But out there, there's this line. You know what we call that line? The horizon? Yes, exactly. The horizon. Now, in a number of circumstances, when we're valuing, finding intrinsic value, we want to have some horizon where we finish the trip or where we know how to finish the rest of the trip. So let's try this one. TVA um, common will pay a dividend next year, one year from now, of two dollars and fifteen cents. Then the following year it will pay a dividend of $1.75, then the next year it will pay a dividend of $2.40. One year later, you will sell the you will sell the stock at a projected price. of $32.50. What is the current intrinsic price? of TVA common. Now let's put a discount rate on this. Of 8.6%. Follow what I do. I'll show you how to do this on the calculator. You're not supposed to use what I, this app to do this, but it works. And then I'll show you how to do it in Excel. Watch. I'll let you finish copying that down. Okay. Yeah, bring out your calculators, your Excel. Yes. I want to sell the stock. You will. Oh, did I? You will sell the stock. I left a word out there. You will sell the stock. Forgive me for that. Okay, now again, what I'm going to show you in, in the calculator 
It's not supposed to be used for this. You'll see its intended purpose a little later in the course, but it works for this. And it's if, and to a certain extent, it's actually kind of an easy way to do it. I'm going to bring up Excel, or rather Excel. I'm going to bring up my calculator. Apps, Finance. Now I'm going to go down here to this NPV number seven. Apps, Finance, and go down to NPV and enter. Now here's how you do it. Don't ask too much about why, for heaven's sake. The first thing you'll do when you get out to the main screen is you're going to key in 8.6, the discount rate. Now, I, you, when you want to tell um, this calculator, here comes something else. You always put in a comma. No matter what else, and you'll see why I'm saying that in a minute, you put in a comma. Now the next thing you're going to do is for these problems, you will always put in a zero. Because the NPV is expecting you to tell it an, in, an initial investment. But we're not doing that here. So just put in a zero, don't ask why. Now you put in a comma because you're telling the calculator, here comes something else. So in this case, these TI calculators, to tell it a year by year or period by period cash flow, you start that by putting in an open brace, second parenthesis. Now I caution you that this is usually where you will get an error, is you'll put in a parenthesis and you'll see me do it too. Because on these LCD calculators, it's not that easy to tell the difference between a parenthesis and a brace. It has to be a brace. That's the way the TI knows that you're about to tell it to start counting years. So watch this. The first year's dividend was what? $2.15? $2.15. Now comma. Remember I said here, that's how you say it, here comes. And it's keeping a count. So if there was a dividend of zero in some years, year, you'd have to put in a zero because it's counting. It says that's year one, comma. Now the next one I put in is the 1.75. And then you're going to put in a comma again. Here comes count three. You counted three. That was $2.40. Comma. And then you sell the stock. So it says, oh, for year four, I just take that final capital, that value, thirty-two fifty. Now you tell the calculator, stop counting. In other words, close the brace, second close parenthesis. You tell it to stop counting. Now you close the parenthesis that started the whole mess and you hey, say, hey, the intrinsic value is $28.70. That's all there is to it. $28.70. Now, if you are a formula, crank it out kind of person, what you would do in this problem is you would take and I'll just write it down in case you want to see it. The way I would do it is I would take 1.75 times 1 plus 0 0.08686 discounted one period back. I'm sorry, that's 2.15. I'm sorry, 2.15. 2.15. Plus 
plus 1.75 times 1.086 discounted back two periods plus 2.40 times 1 plus 0.086 discounted back three periods plus the selling price, the horizon price, 3250 times 1 plus 0 0.086 to the negative fourth. You would do that and you get the same answer. If you prefer to do it that way, go for it. The, I guarantee you that if I try to do that, I am going to make a mistake in the chain of calculations, but that's how you would do it. And the NPV formula is doing exactly that. It's taking each of these entries and see that is the first, so it would be to the negative one, the discount rate, and see the second one, so that would be to the negative two, it sees the third, negative three, etc. So it is doing the legwork that you would otherwise have to do. Now, in a number of classes, I mean, even to, to this day, but historically, we would not have used a calculator that was, that was low ball, that was, that was bad effort. But as you can see, it actually makes this problem a lot easier. And, I, and also more likely to get you the right answer, too. But I do caution. If you do this and you get an error, the first thing, here are the two things that I see. You'll forget to put a comma there, okay? Everything has to have a comma. And the other one, as I had said, is you'll mistakenly put a parenthesis instead of a brace to trap the uh, cash flow. That's where, if you get an error, that's why. Mo almost guarantee you that's what, the, what happened. And just make sure you key our numbers in correctly, obviously. Now, Excel. Year. Dividend. or sale price, whatever you want to call it, okay? Year zero, one, two, three. Now, I'm not sure about this. I gotta run this real quick here because I may have something wrong in my head right now, but there's no dividend here. Um, one was two dollars and fifteen cents. Two was a dollar seventy-five. Now I may have to correct this. Three was um, two dollars and forty cents, and then the sale price was two dollars and forty cents, and then the sale price was thirty-two fifty. God, I'm bad. Trying to not look. Thirty-two fifty. Price now. You would say equals present value. Oh, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. before I do that, there, there, there. I'm an idiot. Uh, let's put down here discount rate. Okay, and we'll put in the 8.6%. And don't forget, in Excel, you have to tell it percent. Okay, so the price now, duh, equals PV. Okay, it's going to want to know the rate. That's why you put it down here, so you can just call it by reference to cell B9, where I put it. And then comma. The number of periods for 
No, I can't do it this way. I'm sorry. That's right. NPV. Rate. Comma. You have to use the NPV. Value. I'm going to try it without that one on the front. I think it's right if I do it this way. Yeah. You don't need that zero year. That was the thing that's such a pain in the butt, is that if you do have a cash flow occurring immediately, you have to add or subtract that after you've done the NPV formula. That's right. But this one uses the NPV just like that. In other words, it's sort of, it's sort of like the calculator version. The nice thing about this one is, of course, you can change the discount rate as you wish. You can put in uh, different dividends if you want, and you can get it. Yeah. This is for common stock. This is the first one. And lordy, it goes on from here. However, the other underlying principle kind of stays the same. Now I'm going to switch gears here for just a minute. I'm going to switch gears here and I'm going to show you this way of calculating a stock price is the first pass for common stock. For preferred stock, there is just a single formula to do it. The present value of a share of preferred stock is just equal to that flat dividend divided by the discount rate. That's all there is to it. Find out what the dividend is and then divide it by the discount rate. That's how the present value of a non-growth perpetuity works. In other words, when you saw this, I'm sure, in the book earlier, this is the no-growth perpetuity formula. So let me take, yes, and I did erase that, didn't I? That... Um, That stock that I had before, it had a coupon of 1.5% preferred dividend. Par value. What did I have the par value of that stock at? $40? $40 per share. Now what that's saying is that 1.5% times the $40 is going to be the dividend every year forever. Every year forever. So let's say that the market right now is discounting those cash flows. And let's say 1.25%. In other words, the market says they don't need to pay more than 1.5%. They do, but there's that. So in that case, discount rate and over here, the price of the stock, the intrinsic price of the stock. At 1.25%, all you do is say the Sixty cents per share divided by what the market is wanting right now. That would be the intrinsic price of the preferred. So if I wanted to do that, 
I could just come over here and say 1.5% times uh, $40 per share, which comes out to be 60 cents per share, divided by 0 0.0125. So the stock is right now selling at a premium to par. It's selling at $48. If you think about it, that makes sense simply because, okay, the, it's paying a 1.5% dividend. The market right now is requiring only 1.25. Doing it again, suppose that the discount rate that the market wants is 1.60%. I just do it again. 0 0.60 divided by, in this case, 0 0.0160. And we should sell at a discount to par because the coupon isn't as much as the market wants it to be. Say 0 0.6 divided by 0 0.016. Yep, sure enough, $37.50, it's below, it's selling at a discount to par, simply because the coupon isn't enough to make the market happy. Now watch this. Suppose that the discount rate is exactly what the coupon pays, 1.50%. In that case, you have 1.06 divided by 0 0.0150, and surprisingly enough, it would sell exactly at par because it's paying just what the market wants it to pay. See that price and interest, price and yield inverse relationship? It's all through finance. That's how you value preferred stock. It's easy, and I, I'll give you one of these, obviously on a quiz, but also on the final. And you can just, within a, a couple of seconds, you should be able to do that. I don't even bother with Excel for this. You just take the, val the, the cost of the dividends dollar amount divided by the discount rate I give you. That's all there is to it. Yeah. Represent for stock. 1.5, the coupon's value, times the par value per share. Okay. That's the discount price? Not, that's not discount price, that's just the dividend it pays. Oh, if, if yeah. It yeah, the capital D is the dividend. Let me show you something. Now, fortunately, you don't need to go, I'm not going through the math theory of this. You might have seen in your last calculus course, if you've taken that, there was a, there's a topic called infinite series. You add up an infinite string of numbers. Now, usually that'll blow up. You add more and more numbers to it. But in some special cases, fortunately one that's very important in finance, it actually settles on a specific value. So 1 over 2 plus 1 over 2 squared plus 1 over 4, 2 cubed, those kinds actually settle down to a specific place. See that perpetuity formula over there? There's a variation on it if there is a constant growth of the dividends. The present value, the present value, the price of a constant growth dividend stock. In other words, if the stock's price grows at a specific percentage rate every year, the formula turns out to be 
the current dividend grown one period over the discount rate minus the growth rate. Uh, this is a simple problem. Now we can sophisticate it and the one that I show you using this but some other stuff is actually pretty normal to use in practice. Well, let me show you. J, K, L, common. Just paid a $1.80 per share dividend. That is expected to grow at a constant rate of 2.5% for the foreseeable future. what I show you to do here. Let's take a discount rate for this one. Current discount rate for these kinds of cash flows. Let's say 7.8%. Here's where you have to watch yourself. The present value is going to be the current dividend, $1.80, grown one period. So it would be times 1 plus 0 0.025, 0 0.025. And then you divide that by the discount rate minus the growth rate. Okay, now let me give you a, one caution. I could frame the problem with slightly different wording. If I tell you the dividend they've just paid, you have to grow it that one period. But I might say they expect to pay a dividend next year of, in which case you'll have that next period dividend and you don't have to grow it. Let me say this again. If I tell you, as I did in this problem, they have just paid a dividend, you have to grow it one period in the numerator. But if I tell you the dividend next period will be, you don't have to grow it. You don't grow it. You just put that dividend in. I could frame it either way. So the, cur so the catch would be, and the wording that I would use, the company just paid a dividend of. That means you grow it. If I say the dividend in the next period will be, then you don't. I'll make the wording as exact as that. But anyway, cranking it out, and as you can see, I'm not even doing Excel for these because it's like, uh, it's, it's that straightforward. You just do $1.80, 1.8, excuse me, and then you times that by the 1 plus 0 0.025. Now here's where you gotta be a little careful Make sure you trap that denominator in parentheses. 
that 0 0.078 minus the 0 0.025. Okay? Just, if you don't, then it's going to just divide by the 0 0.078 and then take the result minus the 0 0.025. But anyway, if you do that, my ass, what did I do? I just tested you. I knew that was there. Good. You caught it. Second insert a damn parenthesis. There, are you happy? Yes. Thank you. Thank you. I'll speak nicely of you in my next Twitter post. $34.81. Yeah. It was for like, if it said it told for the next dividend, like if we were told that, you would yeah. just do 1.8 times 0.025? No. You just do, let's say that I gave you, instead of $1.80 this time, suppose I told you the company expects to pay a dividend in the next period of $1.80. $1.85 or something like that, then you don't do any growing at all. That 1 plus G is gone because you already, it was already done by saying it's the next periods. So that would just be underwriter. Yeah, yeah. This is the one, you notice how I'm, I'm talking through this over and over again because it, at first it looks, uh, God, how do you remember this? We, we will remember it. We'll get this done. But that is the constant growth dividend model. The dividend grows by a specific percentage every year. Now, taking away the mathy just for a minute here, how realistic is that? Because what we're basically doing here is saying that the intrinsic price of a stock is the present value of the perpetuity of all of its future dividends. That's essentially because a corporation theoretically lives forever, how else would its value form other than what it was capable of paying to the people who are investing in it? And this sets us up to the next thing though. You see, companies oftentimes don't pay dividends right off the bat. And that's a real pain in the ass to do that. But then a lot of companies are more realistically, they pay dividends up and down and up and down. But, and I actually didn't quite buy this, and I've checked it, I've run the numbers a few times over the years. Older corporations, if you look at their dividend from year to year to year, it is almost dead on a constant growth. I mean, it, it's like, it's not haphazard. The dividends just keep doing the same thing, growing at 1%, 2%, 2.5%. That is actually a very normal thing for an older, more mature company to do. From their perspective, it creates a more certain environment for investors. I know this is an old company. I know they're going to pay a dividend, and I know how much that dividend is going to grow from year to year to year. I looked at one that I did last semester. I was just curious. I looked at Target, and their dividend does bounce around. You take the, uh, the current dividend divided by the last year's dividend back a bunch of years. And it does bounce around. The growth rate does bounce around by, by a tiny amount. It really is a constant growth dividend. And I looked at other companies, too, about their dividends. And they're very stable in that growth. Yeah. yeah so what creates, uh, you said, uh, a safer environment for investors? Because I know that the dividend is not only going to be there, but it's going to grow at a constant rate from year to year as I hold that stock. Long, 
time ago when I was doing consulting, a few of the companies that I helped get started filed their paperwork and they began to ask, I went to their board meetings. Now the board of directors makes a decision on paying a dividend. And it happened several times. A company was on its feet and it had money left at the end of the day, net profit if you will, free cash flow. And the, the um, question would come up, should we pay a dividend? Now obviously I told you the stories about not paying a dividend, you get your shareholders all pissed off at you, but the question is, should we start paying a dividend? And the, the first immediate answer would be, sure, absolutely, yes, let's get it done. But the problem is, once you start paying a dividend, that becomes part of the expectation of the shareholders. They're paying a dividend. They paid us a dividend of 25 cents a share. So, boy, we'll look forward to that every year. And of course, if the company falls on its face or it needs all of its uh, net income to plow back into operations to grow, well, they might not pay the dividend and then you've pissed off the shareholders worse than you did before because you gave them a dividend and then you don't pay it again. So the dividend is kind of like this trap. You start, you pay one, then you damn well start, better start paying them every year. And then comes the next one. The big dogs, the heavy investors, are going to want to know that there is going to be a time when the dividend stabilizes to constant growth. They're not gonna expect it the first time you pay a dividend, but there is going to have to be a decision or at least a serious conversation. Okay, we've started paying dividends. Now they're gonna bounce around for a few years, but we've got to look out there on the horizon at a time when the dividend becomes constant growth. That's where that formula finally kicks in. Somewhere along the way, let me, sh let, me, let me draw you one here, just so you can see what I'm talking about, what I'm farting about here. <coughs> this is... Oh, uh, look. Here's year zero. Okay, let's say the company, we've had that kind of like come to Jesus meeting where we finally decide, okay, we're projecting positive free cash flow next year. Let's plan on a dividend. Let's give them a dividend of 50 cents a share, year one. Okay, now any corporation worth its salt is going to be projecting out, pro, they're called pro forma uh, financial statements. Okay, in year two, we'll probably be able to handle a dividend of 40 cents a share. Year three, we have a major capital expenditure that we're going to do in year three. So we probably, we're gonna get bitched out about it, but we won't be able to pay a dividend. <coughs> year four, we'll recover and we'll give, we're, we're gonna be making a lot of money by that time off our in investments, our plowback. So we'll probably be able to shut them up with a $1.25 per share dividend. And then in year five, we'll probably be able to up that to $1.50 a share. And that is the point where we will go to a constant growth. We're underway, we can handle it. And at that point, we're going to grow the dividends thereafter at 2% per year. That right there, if I can find using the constant growth formula,
the price of the stock right there at year five. We call that the horizon value. It would be the dividend one more period out, $1.50 grown one more period. And oh, let's do a discount rate. Let's say 6.4%. It will be $1.50 grown one period. That will be 6 divided by the discount rate, 0 0.064 minus the growth rate of 0 0.02. And then you'll also add the dividend that you got for that year five. So this right here is the value now at year five of all the other dividends forever. And then you add in the dividend at year five. That looks like a pain in the ass. It is kinda. But let me show you, let me show you. All I really have to do here is take 1.50 and we grow at one period. So in other words, the dividend at year six is going to be that number right there, 1.5 times 1.02. And then I'm going to divide it by, open parenthesis, 0 0.064 minus 0 0.02. Close the parenthesis. Now I add the dividend that will be there at year five, the dollar fifty, thirty-six dollars and twenty-seven cents. Yeah. Can you explain again what a horizon value is? That's what I'm about to say. That is the horizon value at year five. That is our best estimate of what that stock price will be at year five. In other words, what I've done is I've turned this problem into that problem. And I can just key in the numbers. This is a pain in the ass. I'm not going to ask this obviously on the quiz on Monday. I don't want you slashing my car tires. <laughs> bless you, bless you. I mean, you just have to do problems. And I'm going to put up some problems for you to do. The horizon value, though, this whole concept. What I can do now, though, look, I can do that thing in Excel or I can do it here where I say, okay, um, Apps, finance, TVM solver. Oh, TVM, my God. I do that so much in this class. Apps, finance, NPV, seven. Yeah, there you go. And then all I do is I put in the discount rate, the 6.4, comma, the zero, like I did the last time, comma, open the braces. Now, what was that first year's dividend? What did I did I erase that? Oh, no, it's right there, the timeline. Did, did. Bah. Okay, 0 0.5, 50 cents, comma, that's year one, 0 0.40, 40 cents, comma, that's the year two counted. The zero, see, I have to put in that zero so that it keeps the count of years correct, comma, 1.25, comma, and then I put in the $36.27. You know, you could actually even put that right here in the formula. I could actually do that whole that calculation right there instead of doing it separately and then putting it in. I can just put, I've gotten it here, $36.27. But I could just say $1.50 plus that pain in the ass right there, 
the 1.5 times 0 times 1.02 divided by 0.064 minus 0.02. Close the parenthesis. Tell me I've got everything in there. Oh, I've got to close the brace. Actually, it's, it's probably better just to do this as a side calculation. I mean, you know, it's up to you. But then $28.40 is the current intrinsic price of the stock. <coughs> now, how would you do that in Excel? I basically got the model right here. Look, what was the first year dividend? 50 cents. What was the second year dividend? 40 cents. What was the third year dividend? Nothing. Third year, fourth year was $1.25. I got to put in another year here. Fifth year dividend got to put in another row here, and then the fifth year dividend was a dollar fifty, and then the horizon value, which would be equal to the dollar fifty grown one period, whoops, let me do this, let me do this, stop, stop. Let me put in a um, growth rate. And I'll put this sheet up on, in uh, VeggieNet tonight, the horizon value, <coughs> growth rate, growth rate. I know, I'm putting it in here, 2%. And then now I can just crank up here. The horizon value is going to be equal to that time. Whoops. Isn't the discount rate going to be 6.4%? Yeah, you're right. I didn't catch that, 6.4%. So what I'm going to do is the horizon value is going to be equal to year five plus. Oh, year five. Yeah, year five. I've, I've screwed up this formula a little bit. Let me do, I'm just going to finish it up here. Year five is going to be equal to year five times one plus the growth rate divided by the discount rate minus the growth rate. No, I want B11 there. Minus the growth rate. Close the parenthesis. And now you can finish it up as a present value. But that's it. Yeah, you're still going to have to add that. So I'm going to have, probably have to put it here. plus that whoops anyway i'll pick it back up on monday